2: And I am Lisa Wysaki in Nashville, Tennessee, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for October 26th, episode 3046. This episode is brought to you by Stateline Tack. Good morning, horse people.
0: Hey, you made it to Wednesday. Only three days left till a weekend full of horsey fun.
2: Lucky for you, you have Jamie and Glenn to get you through on Horses in the
0: Morning. Well, good morning, everybody. As you know, at this point, uh, Jamie is out doing her clinic. I haven't seen any pictures from the clinic. Me either. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, we hope it's going well. And Lisa, thank you for filling in. Appreciate that. You are so welcome. In this Daily Dose Equine Health segment today, Dr. Eleanor Green is joining us to speak about a new equine education program at Lincoln Memorial University. We've been talking about the lack of vets around the country, and I know a lot of you have to go a long way to find an equine vet, and uh, hopefully there's some institutions like this out there trying to solve that problem. We also have some book recommendations. Uh, when Lisa and I get together, we like to do book recommendations every once in a while. So uh, I have a couple, but they're not horsey. So uh, you have to tolerate a non-horsey book recommendation from me. <laughs> and we're going to answer a listener question that they sent in specifically for you. Um, and also we're going to do this month's studies show. So we have a lot coming up on the show today. We'll also do a post-show, and we're not sure we're going to talk about yet, but I – I'm just going to promise it's going to be happier than Mondays. <laughs> so. That
2: sounds good. That yeah. doesn't raise the bar all that much, Glenn. No,
0: <laughs> It was a serious topic on Monday, and it has to be talked about, but it's like, oh, yeah. we're, we're going to get off that topic. Yeah. Well, we do have something coming up from one of our sponsors, and that's Arena Saddles. And they, they're they sponsoring the Arena Saddles Sportsmanship Award. I'm just going to read some of this to you. Uh, basically, this award is to honor equestrians who put others before themselves and display acts of selflessness, kindness, and integrity in the equestrian community. Uh, so they're looking out and asking for nominations right now for people who you think fit this. And their criteria are they display exceptional sportsmanship, uh, such as handling victory and defeat with grace and dignity. They treat everyone with fairness and courtesy. I feel like we wiped out half the horse population already. Uh, <laughs> set an example by creating a positive and encouraging environment. And as a reward for their positive influence in and sportma- sportsmanship, they will receive the arena saddle of their choice. Wow. Uh, and five runners up will get a arena saddle bag. So... There, I will put a link to the nomination page, and you can go do that right now. You can nominate before November the thirtieth, so get your nominations in before the end of November. Uh, you all know somebody like this, uh, so yeah, let's honor them. And it doesn't have to be a top writer. This is not meant for superstars. This is meant for the people you know who just go out of their way to help others. I love so, that. Yeah. So if you if you feel like ah, uh, you know. It, it, Boyd Martin's going to win. That's not who this is meant for. Uh this is meant for people you know who are doing good things and are a positive influence. So get that uh get those nominations in today uh and I'll post the link in the show notes right there on your podcast player. All right, let's do some daily winnies. We have two birthdays in the auditor room uh, today, and that's Joe Lynn Lunders and Jessica Sag- Sackett. Happy birthday to both of you. We hope you have a terrific day. So, Glenn,
2: my daily whinny goes to a friend of mine, Liz Mallard, and a lot of the listeners know that I don't have great internet, and I'm, I know a lot of them can. Um, empathize with that because they live in rural areas too. And so Liz is a friend of mine who, uh, you know, we talked about her a little bit on, on Monday's show. Uh, she, uh, we found her in homelessness and she's just doing great. Anyway, I'm using her apartment and her internet. Oh, that's Uh, kind of
0: ironic in a way. Isn't that great?
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's just great. And she's just so wonderful. And, um, so my daily winnie goes out to her because, you know, she's become a true friend and, and, uh, You know, what would we be without friends who have internet? (laughs)
0: Yes, that's true. (laughs) All right, let's talk about our book recommendations for the month. Um, When Lisa and I get together, we like to do book recommendations. Obviously, Lisa's an author and written many books. And I think people like to hear about different books that people like. I know we talk about TV shows and stuff like that all the time.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So I have two, and neither one of them are horsey, but uh, uh, and both involve comedy. So big surprise there, right? Jennifer and I are huge Big Bang Theory fans. We were so sad when that show went off the air, and we've seen every episode at least sixty-five times because oh they're on—they're on in on reruns twenty-four yeah. hours a day, someplace. <laughs> uh, so we've watched all of them, and to get to sleep at night, if you know, once you, if you watch a really serious show before bed at night, you need comedy, right? Oh or yes, you're all wound up. Yes. So there's a book called The Big Bang Theory just came out by Jessica Ra- Radloff and she tells the story of Big Bang from even before it was dreamed of. Really? So she talks about the creators and how they came, and and that's like two chapters, just how they got to the Big Bang Theory and the idea. Wow. Um, And how crazy it was and how they fully expected to be rejected uh, because they were proposing a show about – you know about some really nerdy guys, right? Right. Who work at a university, and and you know, so they they really expected it to be rejected. Uh, so you know, they went through the whole story, and then it went through the casting process of all of them. And I know a lot of you are Big Bang Theory fans. Uh, Jamie is not; she hates it, uh, but she has no taste in TV, so we don't even count <laughs> that. Uh, but I know a lot of you were. So this is if you liked Big Bang Theory, this is a book you have to read because I, I'm halfway through it, and I, I've learned so much stuff about the whole, what they've gone, what they went through and how they hired everybody and, you know, it's just really cool.
2: So do they have a lot of pictures in there of like behind the scenes? I don't know, I'm
0: doing the audiobook. Oh, got it, okay. Now, I was lucky enough, when I went out to a podcasting conference once, uh, a bunch of, well, three lesbians and I, uh, matter of fact, we (laughs) joked all day that it was three lesbians and a cowboy in the car. Um, (laughs) So we went to Universal Studios after the podcasting conference, and we took a tour and they were giving tours of the Big Bang set that day.
1: Oh, how cool Let's So they
0: weren't filming, but we got to see the set. And, and, you know, Jamie always said it was a laugh track, which isn't true because they had 200 people in the audience. The bleachers yeah. were set up there. But it was really cool to see the sets that, you know, we had seen a hundred times on, on the show. Uh, and they're all lined up. You know, and then there's a couple of sets that they use every once in a while that they roll in and out. Oh. So because they filmed this in front of a live studio audience, you know, they have to have the sets right there. Yeah. And very occasionally did they do outside scenes. So it was really cool how it was all set up and how we did it. So And that was still running then. So I got to see it and get to see the actors where they hang out and all that. So that was really neat. And oh, it was yeah. completely different than I expected. <laughs> so it was,
2: They always are. They always
0: yeah. look, you know, they look so, so bright and vibrant on...
2: TV, and then they, a lot of sets I've been on look kind of cheesy in person. Oh, it's
0: dark, too. Yeah. You know, you walk in and they, I, I understand not putting the lights on, right? It's a big warehouse, basically. Yeah. But uh, but it's so dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the only thing that's lit up is the, sta- is the set, you right. know, is the stage. And that's very <laughs> confined. Everything else is dark. Yeah. Uh, but I was impressed with how many cameras, you know, just all the stuff. And how many staff to put on a show. There's like 200 staff to put mm-hmm. on each episode. It's crazy. Oh, it's a big thing. You're going to find out about all that. I'm going to find out about all that. So the second one is Jim Gaffigan is one of our favorite comedians. Mm-hmm. Love Jim Gaffigan. And he did a book called Food, a Love Story. And he – you have to listen to the Audible book of this. Don't buy the book because he reads it. Oh, wow. And, and it is – he is hilarious anyway, but when he reads his own book – it is doubly hilarious. And this is all about food. The entire book is about food. And basically, it's w- it's just one big, long stand-up comedy bit about all different kinds of food. It is hilarious. Jennifer and I listened to it in the book on trips. It is just hilarious. Or, yeah, it's just funny as heck. So if you like Jim Gaffigan at all, and, and you like just hearing funny stories about food, it's called Food, a Love Story. It's on Audible. Definitely listen to this one. Don't read this one, because it's just funnier. Isn't that
2: amazing, it. though, how, how different formats, like you can you can see, you can read the book, and then you can watch the movie, and you can listen to the audiobook, and it's all three very different.
0: Well, and I think it depends who obviously reads the audiobook, sure. but in a case like him, where he's, you know, funny as heck anyway, uh, l- listening to him read it. Now, if somebody else was reading this book for him, it wouldn't have been as good. No, you know, then you could have read it or whatever; it would have been the same. But with him doing the book, uh, it, you know, it was definitely good. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend that. Jennifer had one that she recommends too. Um, it's called "Remarkably Bright Creatures" by Shelby Van Pelt. So, did you listen to this one, Jennifer? So she really liked this one. She said there's a lot of twists and turns in this book, and it's not anything like the title indicates. Um, But she really did like this book, and she recommends Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt. And an octopus tells the story. Oh, that's fun. So it's told by an octopus. Even Lisa hasn't written a book with an octopus telling the story. (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> All right, All right. there's great. our recommendations, and we'll put these in the show notes as well.
2: So what I find really interesting, Glenn, is um, your recommendations are nonfiction, and mine are fiction. So um, I don't know yeah, what that says. Yeah, am not much
0: of a fiction reader.
2: Yeah, yeah. And um, so I read fiction for, well, I write fiction, but I also write nonfiction, but I read fiction just to relax. And my first um, recommendation is, it's a non-horse book. It's called The House at Riverton by Kate Morton. And Glenn, I couldn't put this book down. It's been out for a little bit, but it's, it starts like uh, pre-World War One, and it's, it's told from the story, uh, from the viewpoint of a maid in this huge, humongous, ritzy house. And um just when you think, you know, you kind of have her story down, then bam, the author comes in with just a twist that's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't see that coming. And then it flash forwards to this maid when she's in her 90s and she's retelling some of this. So some of it you're kind of getting in the moment and some you're getting in a flashback, which sounds kind of convoluted, but it works. And I mean, there's murder in there, there's secrets, there's family secrets. It's just, I I mean, I was up three, four o'clock in the morning. (laughs) I couldn't put it down. It's The House at Riverton by Kate Morton. Okay, And then my other one is Hugger Mugger by Robert B. Parker. So Robert B. Parker was a very, very famous mystery author, and he wrote a lot of the Spencer novels, or all of the Spencer novels. And um, Spencer's a private detective, and, and Hugger Mugger is actually kind of a racetrack type uh, mystery, uh, written by somebody who is not really a horse person, but... As far as I could tell, he got all of the details right. And I think we all just hate those books when when the character does something and you're going, No, that wouldn't that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't you know, right, or, or the right. storyline. But this was amazing. It was it was really a good story and um, I don't like things that are like super gory. I used to read a lot of Stephen King and Dean Coots and I can't do that anymore. Uh, scares me. So, um, <laughs> well, you do live out in the middle of nowhere, too,
0: <laughs> at an old Indian burial grounds or something. Uh, exactly. So, exactly,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, camping grounds, but still,
0: still. You know. Oh, I'm sure a few of them are buried there somewhere. Probably,
2: probably. So, um, yeah, so uh, yeah. When that when the security light goes on, I don't know if it's the local groundhog or if it's you know <laughs> it's something else, you know, or the possum, but. But, yeah, so I don't read really super scary things anymore. But uh, Hucker, yeah, Marker* by either. Robert B. Parker is really good.
0: Very good. So let's talk a little bit about Stateline Tech, and then we're going to get to a question from a listener about motivation, basically. And, you know, we talk about state line tack, but I very seldom mention, and they have it highlighted on their homepage right now. Uh, you know, a lot of our listeners, probably 80% of our listeners are, are trail riders, like mm-hmm. Jennifer and I, right? So they're trail riders, and that's what they do. And a lot of them are Western. Right now, they're highlighting their Western saddles and tax section. And it's click if you click right on the homepage there. It's 63 pages of stuff. And, uh, you know, just, just an endless amount. I, Western, you know, I think there's a lot of English tack. When, when you see how many different types of Western headstalls there are, <laughs> there must be a thousand different types of Western headstalls. And yeah. not to mention bits. I mean, <laughs> we're getting into bits. Right. But, and the, the other thing, too, with Western, and I know when we went to a couple of the Western tack shops when we were in Texas— the number of different saddle pads they make for Western is incredible. And some of them are very expensive. Right. Um, But, yeah, they have uh, all of those things on here at StatelineTac.com. And as I said, there's 63 pages of Western stuff, uh, and not all of it is head stalls. Um, There's some some other things. Saddles, too. There's a wide variety of saddle selections on here, and you need to go check it out. If you're looking to buy anything Western, head on over to StatelineTac.com. And Christmas is coming. I'm just saying, you know, it we're is. only like eight weeks away. So oh, that's a little scary. All right, I got an email the other night, and she gave me permission to read this. I'm not going to say her name. Um, But she did give me permission to read it on the air today, and she asked for help. So, And she did mention you, and I think you're a perfect one to help with this because you lead a therapeutic riding program where people are a little nervous. Okay. So she asked, what do riders do about lack of motivation to ride? I know riding horses is a privilege, and I should be thankful that I have a horse to ride. But recently, I can't muster up the motivation to go out and ride. I just got my horse back from training at the end of August. We've been to two horse shows, we take weekly lessons, but I can't... Can't make myself excited about going out to ride at home. I'm not sure if I'm scared to ride alone or scared of having a bad ride. I don't know. But we have had beautiful weather here in Michigan, and I haven't ridden once. Coming to, into winter, I know the lack of motivation will only get worse. Yeah, It doesn't get better in the winter. No, no, it doesn't. No, no. So what do you what do you say to her? This you is know, an interesting question.
2: There there are two two things that come to mind for me, and I think you know at some point we've all struggled with this, Glenn. You know whether we we just don't want to ride or or we're tired or you know and and I can see it as a bigger picture too we don't want to go to work we don't want to go to the grocery store I mean, yeah you could replace riding with anything exactly
0: exactly uh, especially so, going to the gym
2: yes <laughs> so, okay. exactly so so one of the things i would I would tell this person is to focus on the positive because I see in in the the email the the negative you know it's it's like she's she's afraid maybe of having a bad ride or afraid to ride alone but she's not sure about that focus on what she loves or he loves about riding focus on the positive and um all of that and then um, number two i would say uh if if that doesn't do it don't go out and ride just go take your horse for a walk um I love taking my horses for a walk. I think it's, it's just great fun and it's a great way to bond and, and it's just a lot of, um, you know, close time with your horse and your horse will enjoy it. And then the third thing I think too is, is sometimes to kind of get over that hump of motivation is, um, make an appointment with yourself that you can't break. It's like a doctor's appointment or a job interview appointment. You know, I'm going to go ride my horse at four o'clock on Friday. And that's, that's a, an appointment you cannot move and you cannot Break, um, and then once you get there, you know, focus on the things that you really like about riding. And you know, if you don't like, you know, lessons or you don't like trail riding, find something that you do like or try something new. You know, uh, if you if you don't run barrels, try try a walk trot barrel pattern. If you don't do dressage, try some of that. You know, if you if you haven't done ground poles, try some of that. Try something new and different with your horse, um, where you can maybe learn together and. You know, hopefully that will kind of get you over. And I think it, for me, it it is a hump. Once I kind of get over that, oh, I really don't want to do that. Once I'm
0: doing it, it's actually okay. Uh, That's true of anything, right? So, you know, no matter what it is. You know, I kind of feel for her on this one. And, And by the way, uh your this is not uncommon. It's probably more common. Exactly. There's more people listening to this going, yeah, I have that. And it's probably cyclical too. Uh, you know, yeah. some people get it a certain time winter, obviously, but that I have the same thing. So, you know, I go out and see my pony probably two, maybe three times a week. Mm-hmm. Jennifer goes out almost every day mm-hmm. and she has been so good uh, with me about I, she likes when I go out that it, it's on my terms. She doesn't force me to go out. She never forces me to go out to see the pony. And she, you know, takes care of the pony. It's at a boarding stable. It's taken care right. of anyway. And he right. preferred to be left alone. Right. So, um, but when I do go out, she, she never forces me to drive. She said, do whatever you want to do. If it's just brushing, mm-hmm. if it's taking him out, you know, and hand grazing him, taking him for mm-hmm. a walk, whatever. She never pushes anything. That has changed for me in my attitude about going out. Because it's never pressure, right? And I think too, you know, you've got a couple things going here. One is you. It sounds like you keep your horse at home alone. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people will board that even can keep their horses at home, so they have somebody to ride with. There's motivation there. That is true. You, you have to be truly motivated and not scared at all to ride home alone. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, I'm not sure I recommend riding home alone anyway, unless somebody's there. Well, here's um, what
2: I do, Glenn. So a lot of times I'm at the farm by myself, and I always call somebody and say I'm getting on my horse, and if I don't call you in 45 minutes, call 911.
0: There you go. All right. Well, you have a, that's a plan, right? It yeah. makes you it makes you feel better. It, that's it some, does. Yeah. That's yes. some. And you know, you are nobody's going to notice you off your horse for a long time. No. So,
2: no. <laughs> where you are. <laughs>
0: But Jennifer's been really good about that, About really good about allowing me to have whatever experience I want to have when I go visit my pony. Mm -hmm. And that has made a world of difference in my attitude about wanting to do it. If she said to me, you have to come out today, you have to come out tomorrow, you have to come out the next day, I probably would resent that a bit. Yeah. And now it's it's a happy experience for me and it's a happy experience for the pony. Right, yeah, yeah,
2: and I think she or he, you know, got it right saying, you know, riding horses is a privilege and, and it is. it's it's a it's a wonderful thing that not everybody has the opportunity to do. And you know something else that that um, this person might do too is is on the fear thing. Um, I always say stay in your comfort zone until you can bump that comfort zone up. So if you're just comfortable walking, just walk. You know, if if you're just, just comfortable just doing some walk trot stuff, just do that. Just do what do what you're comfortable with. And and I always tell her, don't ever get on a horse that you're not comfortable with. If you're not feeling really good about getting on, don't get on. Or invite a friend over to watch you ride. You know, friend can drink wine and have pizza while you're riding.
0: <laughs> and what you said, too, I think is so true. I was trying to think of what other things that you really lack motivation to do. Go to the gym is one, Mm -hmm. right? Oh, that's a big one. Or work out at all. Work out at all, yeah. (laughs) yeah. That's a big one. The other one is cooking. Yeah. So, you know, but what you said is so true. Once you start... Once you actually get into the activity whether it's working out or cooking, once you start the process of cooking, then all of a sudden it's okay. Yes, right? Yes. So it's that getting to it. It's thing. just
2: getting started. Yeah. It's like studying for an exam or um you know doing a, doing a required report for work or you know cleaning your house. It's all of those things that once you start, it's like okay, I'm I'm this is not as bad
0: as I thought it was or I'm actually having a good time. So when you when when I'm talking to the, to the person that wrote this when you go out to the barn to see your pony okay or I think it's at your own farm when you walk out don't go out with any expectations don't go mm-hmm. out saying I need to ride today just right. go out to see your pony yeah after you get there and brush your pony or whatever you're doing take hand graze and maneuver and the motivation goes you know I do really feel like riding today mm-hmm. once you get there and start doing something mm-hmm. then determine what you're going to follow up with yeah and that takes the expectations out. Because, you know, riding is kind of a pain. You got to brush, you got to tack up, you got it's a half an hour process, <laughs> it right? Is. It is. And, you know, with a cart, it's even, it seems like it's even more, you know? Right. The, the... I don't. I'm not sure it is, but
2: but (laughs) but 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 there's a lot of little straps and buckles you got (laughs) to check. Exactly,
0: (laughs) exactly. Then you got to get the card out, and then you have to have somebody with you because you need a header, right? Um, So there is a lot of process to that. So I get where where this person is coming from, but I think just going out without any expectation, just starting to play, just play, have fun, yeah. And then when the motivation, if the motivation comes, then ride.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Groundwork. There's all kinds of things you can do on the ground.
0: Yep. You know, or just. Take just your pony for a walk. We do a lot yeah. of walks with ours and we get very strange looks because we'll be walking through the woods yeah. with them like dogs. Yeah, I uh, do too. Yeah. <laughs> I, I,
2: same thing. And and you know, and I call that groundwork because anytime you're on the ground with your horse, you're training them, you're teaching them something, good or bad
0: or ugly or whatever. Um, but you also can have a really good time. Scooter loves it. He just loves adventures like that. He yeah. just, he thinks it's a, you know the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, uh, our horses do too. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's. Uh, I hope that helped a little bit. Uh, so just get out there, you know, hang out and see what happens. And yes, you are not the only one in the world with this problem. No, no probably <laughs> half all? the people listening. No, 100% of the people have this about something. <laughs> yes, that's, for that's sure. true. That's true. <laughs> yes. And most of those somethings, it's probably a privilege. Exactly. And we still don't want to do it. No. <laughs> right? So, so there you go. This horse health segment is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine, non-GMO core nutrition for horses and ponies of all ages.
2: Well, today we're so excited to have Dr. Eleanor Green with us. She's a veterinarian at Lincoln Memorial University, and they have a new program that hopefully, fingers crossed, is going to bring a lot of brand new equine veterinarians into
1: the industry. So Dr. Green, welcome. Welcome. I'm glad to be here and certainly to pitch in on a topic that's of great importance to all of us who love horses.
2: Yes. And I know some of our listeners have, you know, four or six hour drives to get their horses to a vet. I know for us personally uh, at Colby's Army, I have a therapeutic uh, riding center. We have one, one vet that's an hour and a half away and another that's an hour away. And, you know, most of it's telemedicine, really, uh, because we rarely see them, if ever, on property. So tell us about this new, brand new program to get equine vets into the industry.
1: Well, you've already teed up the issue about the shortages of equine veterinarians with even 50% of the new graduates even leaving practice within the first five years. Wow. And and there are a lot of reasons for that. And one of the reasons is they have lower starting salaries and they have burnout. and And one of the reasons for their lower starting salaries, we believe, is that it takes a while for them to get the experience they need to um, warrant a higher salary. And I hate to say that because I hope they get them at graduation, but that's uh, potentially an issue. Well, let me just tell you a little bit about how this program came about and what it's going to be. Um, Dr. Jim Hurd and I have been immersed in the equine industry for our entire working and personal lives. And we have a deep understanding of of the industry from both sides. I'm a veterinarian. He's a PhD. We've both been in academia. I was at Texas a just most recently. and And so one day we were driving through Lexington and he said, wouldn't it be great if we could have an equine-only veterinary college? And of course, such a college couldn't meet the accreditation guidelines, but we started talking about it more and said, well, what about if we create an immersive equine veterinary education program within an existing college? Well, Lincoln Memorial University is a private university that's in Tennessee, and it. It has the flexibility and the nimbleness to take on something like this. And so we worked with them, and they were a perfect home and are a perfect home for such a program. So what does this program look like? What we're doing is we are going to create a program that is going to be an immersive six years plus one semester program from undergraduate all the way through the DVM degree. And when an individual is admitted to the undergraduate, they're also admitted to veterinary school unless they just can't maintain it. Yay, and yeah. All right. I got to stop
0: you there, Eleanor, yeah. because yeah. we were talking about this before the show. We've had these conversations on numerous shows on the network about the vet issue and nobody ever asked the question, well, you know it it takes a 4.0 and a million dollars to get uh, to get into vet school in the first place that's part of the prog- pro- pro- uh, problem that we have so when you when i heard that you said it was going to be undergrad all the way through that changes the mix a whole lot and is something that we definitely need
1: yeah it really does and and here's another thing about this program that we think is very clever that is that we aren't going to train veterinary students who decide they want to be equine veterinarians. What we're going to do is take horse kids, young people who have grown up in the horse industry off farms and ranches and at a rodeo and at a pony club and whatever it is that they're out of. They have a deep understanding of the horse, how to handle it, how to ride it, how to do whatever with horses. And then we're going to take those students and train them to be veterinarians. It's going so, to be a very different approach. That
2: is really interesting because uh, when I was training professionally, I was in Washington State, and I'm actually here in Tennessee now. But in both states, I have gone to uh, veterinary colleges to teach prospective veterinarians about horse behavior. And I think that's a big thing where you you can graduate with a veterinary degree at a lot of places and really not know anything about the horse
1: you know, you're exactly right. We can, we can, in veterinary colleges, and I've been involved in many of them, do a wonderful job of teaching the medicine. Yes. It is very difficult to teach a student to be a horseman during veterinary college, and you just nailed it right there. And so we're going to bring them in as horsemen at the beginning and then give them the medical knowledge they need. I love that. I love that.
2: Yeah. So is this program going
1: now? Do you have your first students in place? We are accepting applications this fall, and they will start next fall, except one other unique feature of this uh, program is summer internships, except they will actually start the summer before they start classes because they will start their first immersive summer internship experience. Another unique feature of this program is that it's going to have six summer-long working internships. The first two will be with farms and ranches. And the last four will be with veterinary clinics. And we already have a lot of people on board to take these students. We have uh, we have a lot of the different farms and ranches on, on the quarter horse side. We have verbal commitments from the four sixes, from King Ranch, Brazos Valley Equine, and Lazy E., and those are just a few and we got more to come. On the thoroughbred side, we already have verbal commitments from Calumet, Gamesway, Spinthrift, Tailor-Made, Lanes End, Denali, and veterinary practices expressing interest so far are Haggard's, Rudin Riddle, Avante, 113 Equine, ESMS, uh, there Brandon Equine Medical Center in Florida. They're all over and there's certainly going to be many more to come. So That's this amazing. is going to be another thing that they that help students because they'll get paid while they learn even more. And these farms will line up to get them because they want help that already knows how to handle horses. So, so I, I love the paid internship part of it, too, because I
2: think it, it costs like what, $18 million to go to vet school. Um, yeah, right. And this would would this help then, I think, uh, offset some of those costs. Yeah.
1: Yes, it will, and we're hoping our students can graduate with less debt for several reasons. One is that the length of the education is less, so they have you know nearly two years less to pay mm-hmm. for, plus they can start earning two years earlier, plus they can make money while they're learning during vet school, and we think all those things can add up together to, to uh, curb the debt. In addition to that, we didn't even start this program, and we've already had people calling who want to do scholarships. We have three uh, scholarships already for um, one of them is 25000 a year for the four years of the students uh, program. And uh, and this isn't this is without us even asking. So we think that this program is going to attract a lot of scholarship support as well. All right. So you got them coming.
0: Basically, as I understand it, they're going to be coming out of high school or they're a little older and they want to change careers and get into this or whatever. Uh, They come out of working students for a professional writer for a while and decide to go into veterinary. And this would be a perfect way for them to do that, too. What requirements are they going to have academically or otherwise to get into the program?
1: You know the requirements will be uh, the same as every other vet student. They're not going to lower standards for these students at all. Uh, LMU is accepts students at a lower grade point than some other colleges, and their students are fantastic. I'm I'm not saying that that that's a lower quality program because they actually have data that show that the students. That don't get in even have, have the same uh, records as some of those who do, and the students who get in with a lower uh, at the lower end of the class do just as well as those on the upper end. There's very little difference once they get in. So any, all I'm saying is that the quality's going to be good, but there will be standards that will be the same as for veterinary school. But here's the thing, they don't have to compete with this pool of 1,500 other people.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, you'll have you'll have a pool, right. and a lot of them are going into vet school to be small animal vets too. Mm-hmm. So, exactly, yeah. and so they're yeah. taking up the spots, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Well,
1: I yeah, there this, are, there are a lot of yeah, there are a lot of, of young people that that come out of these environments, and maybe maybe they've had to work in the summers, maybe they've gone to the Olympics in the summers and ridden. Who knows? But for whatever reason, sometimes their grade point is is not as high as some others who don't have to work who haven't immersed themselves in the industry and sometimes they are just in that cutoff point that don't get in and yet they could be fantastic students and we hope that we'll get some of them as well.
2: Right and I think you know with with horses I'm sure with every animal but I think with horses it you know (laughs) learning so much about um, horse behavior and herd behavior and herd dynamics can really help you diagnose if you really understand what you're looking at and having people with with you know, born and bred, so to speak, into that industry and, and being raised with horses and, and having a good feel for that, um, I think can put them light years ahead. And that would certainly make up for, you know, maybe a B plus in chemistry versus an A.
1: I, I, that's exactly what we're thinking. And, you know, you hit on a really good point. I'm, I've, My husband and I both been in the horse industry since we were born, and he went the PhD route, and his PhD happens to be in equine behavior, and I went the veterinary route, and I actually taught equine behavior. So we both get it and understand the importance of, beha- of behavior and assessing animal in, in a medical condition or any other. And, you know, Chris Cox is one of our advisory council members. And I don't, I think most people know who he is, but he has said before, he said, you know, my horses are worth a lot of money and I spend a lot of time getting them to respond correctly. And he said, it doesn't take any time for somebody to mess up my foundation by handling them wrong. And he said, if somebody comes on my place and can't handle my horse, they're not coming back. Well, not only that,
0: yeah. I mean, you're talking about the health of the veterinarian too. You got somebody coming out of vet school, hasn't dealt with horses a lot. They're going to get hurt. Yeah. Uh, exactly. You know, and that's yes. the other thing, you know, they get hurt and that's what, probably one of the reasons that half of them bail in the first five years is it is dangerous if you don't know what you're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. And you've talked about assessment for illness, but assessment for safety is, is equally as important.
0: Well, I think this is brilliant. we, we It's thinking way outside the box, we, and you got a university degree to it, so there's that. Yeah. Um, where is LMU? What part of the Tennessee is it in?
1: You know, LMU is, it's an hour and a half from Knoxville. It's right on the Kentucky line and, and up by Virginia and Kentucky. It's right in that corner. It's in the Cumberland Mountains, right by the Cumberland Gap. It's a beautiful setting. And interestingly, Pete DeBusk is the one who started this program. He was an LMU graduate and has um, attributes his education at LMU for his great success. He's a multi-billionaire. He has like 70 medical patents and he wanted to give back to the area. And so he has created this school, Lincoln Memorial University, and it has a med school and a vet school and a dental school and a nursing school and on and on and all, mainly professional focused. And and he's very flexible. We asked him, we said, how long do you think it would take to get a program like this approved? and he said 15 minutes i'm chairman of the board
2: <laughs> oh my goodness
1: <laughs> and and that is so um, uh, unfamiliar in most established universities and they're all wonderful i'm not being critical i've spent my life in universities however they they are unwieldy wow. and big sometimes and, they're political. and yes. yes yes and yeah. lmu is not and then also you know you're dealing with you're trying to change the whole world for a very small number of students and and so a lot of them can't actually make that many Sessions for just a small percentage of their students, but Lincoln Memorial can they can be very innovative and flexible. We're we're very pleased with their entire leadership team. All right, so they don't
0: you don't have to have a Southern accent to go there. (laughs) No, (laughs) you do not. (laughs) So I'm. No, they
1: already recruit nationwide. They already have students from all over the country. Yeah. Um,
2: So, uh, Dr. Green. I, I know that there's going to be some um, younger people who are already in college listening to this and thinking, man, I want to be part of this program. So if they're a junior or a senior or a sophomore, they're already going to some other school, What uh, can they be accepted into this program and how would that change things?
1: All right. We talked about this a lot and we said, look, part of the beauty of this program is they're going to come in as a cohort. So there'll be probably at the first year, maybe 25 students. They'll come in together. They'll go through the whole program together. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll share their experiences. There'll be a lot of peer-to-peer learning, not only from their past experiences, but also from those they glean in their internships. And so we talked a lot about what to do about that. Can students come in and enter? And at this point, it, it's in a sense, not really yet. However, there's no reason that a person from any other program can't enter veterinary school at LMU. And we're looking at how can we embellish their experiences, even though they wouldn't be directly a part of this, and have them uh, participate in as many of these areas as they could. And so the answer is sort of a yes, but not not truly a, this program, if that makes sense. You know, that makes sense to me because
0: part of what, part of this experience is that summer internship. You know, that's, they're going to learn as much there as they are in school. So, I, you know, I kind of get why you're, why you say that. Well, I'm not I, skipping yeah. a couple of years yeah. of that.
2: I yeah. like too the, the fact that they're coming in and they're a group and they're going through together and that's going to stay with them
1: their entire professional lives, those connections it will. networking. It will. And imagine, imagine someone coming from West Texas off of a ranch and from Pennsylvania off of a three day eventing farm and off the northwest off of a different program and Florida off of the polo teams. And, you know, whatever it is, but imagine all those wonderful horsemen getting together and sharing their experiences. And I know that I always say I love a really good horse of any discipline. And I'm not tied to any one discipline. I just appreciate a great horse. And I think we learn from each other in those disciplines.
0: Okay, how do I sign up? I'm, I'm, only, <laughs> uh, you, I'm only 60, you know. Is you're, it too old yeah. for
1: that? Yeah. No, you're not. Okay. And, and I got to tell you, get in line behind me because I want to start <laughs> over and do it. I would have given anything to have a program like this when, when I was a student, anything.
0: How do they find out about it and, uh, you know, do pre-registration or ask questions?
1: they just go online at Lincoln Memorial they have a website up and you can get information there and if not you can have them contact um, you know me or Dr. Hurd or just the the leadership at Lincoln Memorial University Veterinary College i mean they they will be able to find information easily
0: and we'll put a link to i have the link here directly to the equine veterinary education program and i will put a link to that in our show notes so just right there in your podcast player you can click on it and go find it if you know and if you know not just yourself if you're thinking well i you know i went a different route or i would have loved to do this you know people young people or even somebody a little bit older that would like to do this Just let them know this is how we we need to do this to get, you know, to save our to save our industry, because without veterinarians, we're, you know, we're in trouble. So uh, thank you, Dr. Green. Appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you all for getting the word out. And, uh, you know, Dr. Hurd and I have been around for a long, long time. And, you know, this is one of the most impactful things we've done in our entire careers. We can't wait to see the impact of this program. Well, Daily Dose Equine
0: sponsors our health segment, and they offer a full line of handcrafted horse feeds to maximize the health and performance of horses and ponies of all ages, including Scooter. Scooter eats the Carb Buster. He gets about two cups of that a day, plus hay and free choice salt, and all his nutrition needs are met. And the Carb Buster is really meant for the fat ponies like Scooter, who actually looks terrific this year. is the best he's ever looked. And, you know, each custom feed has been developed with whole grains and non-GMO ingredients to eliminate the risk of contamination and herbicides and all of that. Uh, they are also horse people themselves and they've seen firsthand the difference that superior nutrition can have on our equine partners. So you can learn more about Daily Dose Equine and the formulas and all of that at DailyDoseEquine.com. And what's really cool is this is not available in all the tax shops or feed stores yet, but you can buy it at Chewy. And you know, at Chewy, you can get free shipping. So that's how we do it. We have it shipped. And all their products are at Chewy.com. So to find out more, go to DailyDoseEquine.com. Go to Chewy if you want to get Carbuster for your fat pony too. All right, it is time for study show. So you have you been on for study show before? I have, yeah. No. All right. So what we're going to do is I am going to – I went through uh, Google today, and I look at the news section and I put in study show. And I look at the last month, and I see where we're wasting our money, millions and millions of dollars doing studies on things we already knew the answer to. <laughs> and to prove that, I will read part of the study, and you have to guess – what the other part is? Okay. <laughs> All right. And this, you can play this game at home too. So it just proves that we don't need these studies. They could have given us the money, right. and everybody would have been happier. Exactly. So that's So here we go. And I got some good ones this time. <laughs> studies show that U.S. home prices are going up or down in August. Oh, up. Ding, ding, ding. No, they're going down because of the recession. Oh. Uh, Actually. Well, not here in Nashville. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, certain pockets, I think. This is nationally. But I did read yesterday in Ocala that uh, home prices are down 24%. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, year over year over last year, well, they were way up last year. <laughs> I mean, wow. they're probably getting back to where they should be.
2: So. Nashville is, is like the it city. Like, everybody is moving here, and traffic is nuts, and prices still keep climbing.
0: So, we, I guess we're it in one to of those used to be, pockets. unless you were Western, really country, you didn't move to oh, Nashville. No. And now it's everybody, right?
2: Everybody wants to be here.
0: Even you know non-country musicians are going to Nashville to record their records.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, and they have they've been doing that for years. So I used to have a an office on Music Row when I was a music industry publicist, <laughs> and I had a truck. And I came out of my office one day, and the tailgate of my truck was down, and Billy Joel was sitting on my tailgate. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he and a couple piano people. man days. Yeah. This yeah. was well. This was. um early 1990s probably.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's one of the first concerts I ever saw. Was really? Pedro. Yep. That's wow. right. And it was it was it, you know he had seven pianos and
2: All I know uh, it was when he still had hair. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he wasn't quite so heavy then either. No. Um good music though. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you probably have a lot of celebrity stories. <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> <laughs> Studies show that burnout in the workplace is on Fire, yes, it's on the rise. No, nope, again, we didn't need a study to say that burnout in the workplace is on the rise. No <laughs> kidding, like we didn't know that already. And uh, you know, that's but people with the difference now, I think, is especially with the twenties and thirties, uh, the twenty-year-olds and thirty-year-olds, is they're more willing to quit and move to the next. They thing, are, they are uh, than we were. You and I were, you know, still in that day where you got a job and you kept it forever, right? Yes. Because uh, yeah. and our parents definitely were in that day. Oh, absolutely, yeah. My dad had the same job forever. So yeah, he retired from the company yep. you started. Exactly. With. So, uh yeah, that's not so much anymore, and it's easier to get a new job because, especially if you're in high demand areas, mm-hmm. obviously. Uh How about this? <laughs> this is the one again where we spent money to do this study. Studies show morale among teachers is at a, at a
2: all time low.
0: Exactly <laughs> those are <the> exact words. <laughs> Again, we knew that. We knew that. Um, This is, I had, I never read the studies. I always look, just look at the titles. That's what this segment's about. But this one I had to read because it was so ridiculous. I had to go in and read it. Lack of sleep is Um, increasing Um, or uh, decreasing. No, no, it's (laughs) lack of sleep is bad for you. Oh, well. See, you didn't go to the obvious, because <laughs> we all know that. I'm so trying this, to overthink this. Yeah, you are. <laughs> Lack of sleep is bad for you. And this is what the study Show, I actually went in and read it. Individuals with short sleep duration, so you don't sleep much, less than seven hours each night, yeah. had a higher chance of the following. And these are the four things they determined. Having low sleep efficiency. In other words, you can't sleep even when you're in bed. Right. No kidding. Yeah. Irregular sleep patterns. Excessive daytime sleepiness. So wait, <laughs> lack of sleep causes sleepiness. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. And sleep apnea. So
2: how many millions of dollars did we spend
0: on I that don't, one? I don't know. But I am really shocked to find out that if I don't sleep well at night, I'm tired the next day. <laughs> Just shocked. By the way, I stayed up late last night. I never do. But I stayed up late last night because I went back, and I'm watching some of the series that I missed, because you can do that now. Right. And I'm binge watching, and I went back to The Mentalist.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Which was from maybe the early, I don't know. 15 years ago. Probably. And they had like eight seasons and nine seasons. It went on for a long time. And that's in the days when seasons were 30 episodes long.
2: Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. and they're. Actually- I like a
0: show. I've been binging on it. And last night I stayed up and watched four of them. So that oh, wow. That put me that's, late. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's two hours there. Okay, so puzzles. You know the kind you build on your kitchen table? Mm-hmm. Uh, they are good or bad for your brain? I'm going to say good for your brain. Yes, they are. They're good for your brain. Big surprise there. Using your brain is good for it. (laughs) (laughs) That should have been the study. We found out that using your brain is good for your brain. Use it or lose it. That's right. That's right. And that's what they're saying even uh, with uh, to avoid early onset Alzheimer's or any of those is use your brain, you know. Uh, (laughs) Actually do things that require you to think. A new study show... That a cat can recognize your? Face. Smell. Yeah. Voice. Voice. Well, now, I think they choose to ignore it 99% of the time. Well, they do, rate.
2: but <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they do. But I but, know we, so Bob, our barn cat, who is all over our Facebook page, he recognizes people, I think, just by their smell or their face, because they don't even say a word. He knows who they are.
0: I know he, he knows who they are. He chooses to ignore them a lot of times?
2: No, he'll. I mean, he has to wake up first.
0: I mean, that's the big <laughs> right. thing. But. Bob does spend a lot. Of, most of your pictures are of Bob sleeping.
2: Bob, Bob sleeps all the time. <laughs> yeah. But once he's awake, you know, he he recognizes people.
0: Yeah, we have a couple cats in the neighborhood. Um, and they come to visit us all the time. Every time we come home, they're at the front door. And Jennifer loves it because she can. it's like she has a cat without having to have a cat. Oh, that's nice. So she feeds them a little in the afternoons, and they always come by, but she never lets them in the house, thank God. Right. Um, but they're super sweet cats, and they come visit all the time. And it's so it is kind of cool to come home and pull in the driveway, and the neighbor cat runs over. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> She's home. And we don't have to clean the litter box. It's so nice. Very nice. All right, two more studies show that there is blank between cattle and bison
2: there is blank between cattle and bison
0: there is um nothing <laughs> No, it's just the opposite. There's common traits between cattle and bison. And again, I went, duh. Okay, they both chew cud. They both yes. walk on their toes. Yes. They both kind of look like big cows. Yes. Uh, I, you know, they have they eat grass. They have all of the same traits. Yes. yes. there is And they kind of taste the same. And they have shape. short necks. Yeah. And they kind of taste the same. And their heads look the same. <laughs> yes. See, there's I wouldn't everything. say that with Jamie here, but I can say that with you here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One last one. We always have coffee or some beverage. It's usually coffee or alcohol in a study every month. This one's a little different. Massive new study. And this was big. It was tens of thousands of people. Massive new study shows that drinking tea is good for you. Yes, that's right. <laughs> did you did anybody assume that drinking tea was bad for you it you everybody assumes that coffee's either good or bad for you it's got you know it's one or the other and every study we've shown for the last ten years every month it's different it's bad for you it's good for you yes. you'll live longer you'll die sooner. Coffee's always been that way, but nobody hates on tea no no <laughs> no,
2: no. and I will weird. tell you this: my mother has has Drank green tea for I don't know seventy or eighty years. That's my years. favorite too. Yeah. She's ninety nine years old and she's still in her house, and she
0: drinks green tea all the Does time. Does she put something in it?
2: No. No.
0: No. No. no she no. doesn't. She no doesn't. And she smoked for
2: eighty years and doesn't have cancer.
0: Yeah, that's her. That's hereditary.
2: <laughs> yeah. And those of you who know my mother, don't tell her I'm talking about her because she paid me. <laughs>
0: But that's hereditary. You smoke that long and don't get lung cancer. It has going. to be, yes. You're, yeah, you're just lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I do like tea. I, am, I, am, I, I do like, I like iced tea. Mm-hmm. I like uh, hot tea. But I'm also a green tea person. And the fruitier tasting, the better. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, but then we like our wine that way, too. Well, there you go. So there's your study show for the month. And if they just sent us the money. Look, you could fund your whole operation for a lifetime. Think of all
2: of all of the stuff that you could do. So there was Good. a study too, and you probably talked about this, Glenn. But there was a study that came out uh, on horses maybe six months or so ago that horses recognize your faces too.
0: Yes, I did. I also, I also think they recognize your voices. Of course, they do. Because I'll be scooters out, and they're all in separate paddocks out there, and there's a lot of horses. And he'll hear me talking, and he screams every time. He doesn't (laughs) have to see me. He hears my voice, and he screams. And he does every single time I go out. The other day, I went out, and he had a mouthful and didn't scream. And then I think he decided, well, I got to eat this first and then forgot. Yeah. And it was just like, I was so disappointed because he screams every single time I go out. And, and sometimes there's nobody out there, I'll just say, hi, Scooter, from across 10 paddocks. He can't yeah. see me. Yeah. And he screams. You know, he just knows. He knows. I, I think they recognize your voices. I I wonder if they recognize ascent scent and voices more than faces. I don't know. There's a
2: study for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's, that millions of dollars we spent studying tea, we could have put to this. Exactly. That. Exactly. Far more impactful. That's right. <laughs> yes. So where can people, anything new in the book front? Nothing that we haven't talked about uh, on Monday. So. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Where can they find your books?
2: Oh, just Amazon.com can find me at LisaWySaki.com. Uh, or I'm on Facebook, too.
0: All right, sounds good. And auditors, hang on. We'll do a post-show not hopefully as depressing as the other day. Uh, we'll get to, yeah. we'll, we will get. can't promise anything, but we'll try. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And, of course, tomorrow is the brand-new EquiHealth. Segment that or episode that we're going to do once a month. Yay. That is done by the old hosts of the sales and breeding, uh, Emily and Kayla. Uh, Kayla is really into people health, so this is more about people health and working out and you know maintaining fitness. You know the thing I said we put off, yes, earlier in the ping, show. Yes. Yeah, she's talking about that tomorrow. Uh, so I'll probably put off listening. I mean, I'll <laughs> listen right away. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be tomorrow's show. And then on Friday, we're going to have a best up for you. You're out on Friday. And yeah. what we decided to do over the last many of years, we have worked with Horse Nation on Halloween writing contest. And we have read several of their stories that uh, you guys have written on the air every year. We always pick the the top five and we read them on the air every year. So I'm putting a special together for Friday. That's a special Halloween edition.
2: Oh, how fun. That,
0: that's going to be the best of these stories that we've done all all through time. So they were great stories. You can listen to them again. A lot of them I put music to and, you know, added some fun stuff to them. So uh, that's going to be Friday's episode. It's going to be a special episode all about Halloween, my least favorite holiday. So that is coming up on Friday as well, and then Lisa, you're going to be here all next week. I will. I will. And then can't wait. Jamie will be back when, she, or she'll be back when she's done teaching her clinic, which uh, we assume she's doing. Although there's been no pictures. I know. I know. We have no proof.
2: Jamie, post some pictures. <laughs> <laughs>